0: Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm Oliver Condy, the magazine's editor. And with me in the studio, actually in remote studios, are Jeremy Pound, the deputy editor and editorial assistant, Freya Parr. Hello. Hi. Tell me where you are. Freya, where are you?
1: I'm in my very glamorous bedroom in uh, the centre of Bristol. Loving life.
2: (laughs) How exciting. Jeremy, what about you? (laughs) I'm in my dining room in grey and chilly Cheltenham today.
0: Fantastic. And I'm up in North Bristol in my uh, spare room, actually, with the uh, the digital organ behind me, just to sort of keep me in the music mood throughout <laughs> the day. So uh, this month, it's the turn of the May issue. This was the last issue we put to press before we uh, went off on our coronavirus working from home period. Uh, as usual, the magazine's packed with features, news, interviews. We're going to take you through remotely um, in this podcast through the magazine. So let's get on with music news.
1: Music,
0: music, music. So there's really only one story this month, actually, and it is coronavirus, it is COVID-19. Um, all concerts have been cancelled, um, festivals have been cancelled, orchestras have been mothballed, but, but through the gloom, there have been musicians who have been doing a few things online, um, uh, streamed concerts, things from their front room. Um, Jeremy, what's caught your eye throughout the uh, throughout this rather gloomy period.
2: Well I've been a little bit fickle in my choices. I've sort of been ambling about kind of going from one to the next. However, the one which I've gone to gone back to on a daily basis is um, it's always very handy if you've got two world-class musicians that actually live in the same house together, as in the case <laughs> of pianist Tom Poster and violinist Elena Uriosta on a daily basis they've been streaming what they call the Uri Post Jukebox um, where they play together she plays something nice on the <laughs> violin and he accompanies her on the piano mm. and they've done a range of stuff from sort of show tunes to more traditional classical stuff like Foray and Franca etc and it's really nice um, it's re- really good and they presumably they're going to carry on doing it until, the, until we're kind of back out in the open again
0: yeah yeah I hope so I think they've changed their venue haven't they they've sort of relocated halfway they through have, yes. because they have yes not so, I mean, it must be... Uh, it's really frustrating for musicians to have practised up their programmes ready for the summer festival season, which is pretty much kicking off at the moment. I mean, the older pro Festival uh, only a couple of days ago uh, was cancelled. Mm. You know, so, so so musicians have all these wonderful programmes which they're sharing with us. I I have enjoyed uh, watching um, Boris Giltberg do his Beethoven series and a few masterclasses and that sort of thing. Um, and... And I've been enjoying Igor Levitt doing uh, some of his music from his front room as well. There've been a whole variety of people. And, of course, choirs have been getting together and have been singing together. People have been multi-tracking, um, which has been rather yeah, fun Yeah, Eric Whitaker's
1: well. virtual choir must be coming into its own right now. They were kind of very much ahead of the game, weren't they? That's right. <laughs> Gareth Malone's been... <laughs> trying to get been, techniques.
0: Well, Gareth Malone's been starting an online rehearsal series. Yeah. And I know that um, uh, Je- um, Jess Gillum has been starting up a uh, an orchestra. So she's posting parts online. You can take part. And I think they're going to be stitching it all together. That's actually happening as we speak. Uh, but the BBC, Freya, have been doing all sorts of things as well, haven't they? There's a thing called Culture in Quarantine.
1: Yeah, so this is a BBC Arts initiative, and it's kind of they're branding it as a sort of virtual festival of the arts. So it's music, opera, theatre, uh, dance, literature, kind of anything that's been cancelled basically in the next few months from kind of Hay Literary Festival to Alderborough like you mentioned um, and they're sort of transferring it all online whatever they can and kind of mix of things so it's got virtual choirs from the BC orchestras and choirs as you mentioned um, lots of artists from home doing home sessions and um, they've got mixes and playlists which actually we also are doing on classical-music.com, so you can head over there and have a listen to some of our playlists and on our Spotify and Apple Music pages as well. And they're also doing some um, other Bits and Bobs uh like they're broadcasting Beethoven's Fidelio uh, over on BBC Four, I believe. And they're also doing um, Max Richter's Sleep, which is the eight-hour piece that is to be performed overnight and listened to as mm. literally as you sleep. So that was uh, premiered in 2015, and, um, and they're rebroadcasting that. So that'll be on Radio 3, so it'll be a so nice way to switch plans. off overnight.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's uh, It's a worrying time, though
1: good, yeah, on, good restful
0: sure. sleep is what we'll need i think um but if you want to uh keep up to date with all the streams all the live streams all the concerts from people's front rooms all the sort of excitement going on in the classical music world you can head to our website at classical-music.com and you'll see a page there on the home page which will direct you to a list which is constantly updated with all the plans people um, and usually they're sort of last minute things aren't they Um, But people are doing, I I mean, I've enjoyed, for example, Joe Stilgo, who's been sort of in his garden shed, uh, fulfilling sort of requests to to, to perform show tunes and improvisations and that sort of thing. Yeah,
1: sometimes the kind of ad hoc ones are even more entertaining. Sean has started doing more formal ones because I think in replacement of the Leicester Music Festival that had been cancelled. But he's now just started doing like late night lute playing. So he's just there with his whiskey and usually a quite outrageous outfit. Um, and just sitting in bed playing a bit of lute, and it is so nice. It's sitting nice in bed to playing lute? Yeah. Excellent. Just very wholesome. It's <laughs> <is> very Tudor-like. <laughs> it is very Tudor-like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Right, let's move on to this month's magazine.
1: This month's magazine.
0: So we're very keen to stress that we're producing the magazine as usual, albeit from our various rooms at homes. Um, Subscribers will be getting their magazine delivered in the normal way, but many of you won't be able to get to the shops to pick up your issue because the newsagents, many of them are closed. So we're offering... All non-subscribers are totally risk-free, no strings way to get the next three issues to you with free delivery. So just go to classical-music.com offer and you'll be able to pay a one-off amount without setting up a direct debit, and you'll save 15% on the newsstand price. And that's a way for you to get the next three issues, um, starting actually if you do it now, you'll have to get the June issue onwards, but you'll get the next three issues um, delivery free. So that's fantastic. Anyway, so here's some music for you to uh, introduce the cover story of this month's magazine. Thank you. So that was the final movement of the Ravel Violin Sonata performed by Maxim Vengorov violin, this month's cover star with pianist Rustem Saitkulov. and that was from a live recital that they gave at Carnegie Hall in October 2018 and that's going to be that is available now on the, the Adagio streaming website so it's a new uh, signing that Maxim Vengerov has made an exclusive signing to Adagio so Maxim Vengroff is our cover star and uh, celebrating 40 years on the stage it's quite incredible really isn't it Jeremy and mm.
2: 40 years i mean he's 45
0: or 46
2: (laughs) that that simply tells you just how how young he was when he started um we also meant we ought to mention that of course it's not been a a kind of straight 40 years he hasn't been playing that all those 40 years non-stop he had a break of course because he he took time out from the violin and learnt other skills etc and then came back to it refreshed as well as he as he mentions in the piece
0: yeah yeah absolutely. I think uh, there was there was a time away. He's been actually quite frank about his time yeah. away. Um I, I we all assumed back a few years back that he'd injured himself. I think the rumor was he'd fallen over and dislocated his shoulder or something like that. When in fact I think he felt he was just on the on the treadmill I and mean, he was burnt out. Um an incredible mm-hmm. violinist but just so much in demand and and he just all he saw was the inside of hotels and airports. And um, gosh, it must be a, must have been a very lonely existence.
1: Yeah, particularly if you've been doing it since that young age, it's you then end up it's everything you've ever known and ever done. So it must uh, totally understandable that he went through a burnout phase of some kind.
2: I've mm. heard this. I've heard this said um, many times, actually, by soloists. I've when chat to them is that it's all very glamorous being a concerto soloist or a recital soloist. And this, this actually particularly applies to pianists who are lonesome beasts at the best of times. Mm. Um, I remember chatting to one of them and say they love doing chamber music purely for the reason that they actually travel around in threes and fours rather than just by themselves. Mm. But it's quite often if you're a concerto soloist, you turn up at a big city, a big concert hall, you do your gig and you disappear again. Mm. Um, mm. Sometimes they might look after you and take you out for a meal, but sometimes you don't even get that. You just get a nice hotel room. In some ways, it can mm. be rather more lonely in a way.
0: I mean, I mean mm. I, I've i had a very limited Definitely. experience of doing the sound soul around the country with the Brussels yep. Philharmonic. And, of course, the, you're not there long enough to get to know any of the members of the orchestra. So they're all off in their sort of groups, the brass and the woodwind and the strings, all sort of, um, you know, wandering around because they've known each other for decades. Um, and here you are as a soloist coming in and you're just sort of plonked there and then... Mm. You move on. But but Maxim van is has been developing his career as conductor as well. So that's another mm-hmm. important strand that we that we discuss, that he discusses in the magazine with
2: us. And that's a, lot, that's a lot more of a sort of convivial post, isn't it? Because actually he himself says that as a conductor, you are part of this ensemble. You're there with the same people on a daily basis. You're working with them, you're developing them. Um, mm. It's a very, very different relationship between conductor and orchestra and soloist and orchestra. Mm. So you must love that.
0: But he has he's taken it very seriously. I mean, a lot of violinists or instrumentalists, I think they they sort of drop the instrument and then immediately pick up the baton and assume that they can do it. I mean, there are so many examples of that. Some are mm. good at it, some are really terrible. <laughs> but uh, Maxim Vengerov went and studied with this chap called Yuri Simonov, who's who's a, a, a sort of a you know a real sort of uh, Russian maestro. So I think he was quite an old-fashioned mentor for him, took him under his wing, trained him up. I think Maxim ben went through a degree or diploma or something, and then um, he's emerged as a qualified conductor. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he progresses in the next few years.
2: Mm. Yep. Uh, so the cover CD. Right, well, on this month's cover CD, we've actually got a bit of a special performance. It is Bruckner's Eighth Symphony. And it is performed by the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Donald Ronicles, who, of course, used to be their principal conductor and actually is still their their emeritus conductor still to this day.
0: I love hearing 19th century stuff from Donald Ronicles. I mean, his Wagner is just fantastic. His Bruckner and Marlowe, it's just amazing.
2: He, he is a big picture man, I'd say. Yeah, and, and this
0: is... The, yeah, absolutely. And and Br- I mean, we shouldn't really be, be getting the whole of Bruckner Race on one CD. I, I, I have it <laughs> usually spread over two. So I don't, I don't think he's taken it that much
2: more quickly, but um, it's a wonderful performance. OK, well, we're going to hear it now, a little bit of it. Just we're going to go... We're going to plunge into the beginning of the third movement, the Adagio Feierlich Langsam Doch Nicht Schleppend. Here we go.
0: So that was the third movement of Brookness Symphony No. 8 performed by the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and Adolf Runicles, and you'll find that on the May Issues cover CD, which is
2: out now. Um, Jeremy, you're going to take us over to the West, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm going to take us to the Caribbean. At the end of January, I flew out to Havana, to Cuba, um, to, to hear a, a young string ensemble, which I've never heard before. They're called Camarata Romeo, and they've actually been playing since the 1990s. Um, and they are all female, uh, most of them in their 20s, one or two of them slightly older than that. And they were founded by someone called Zenaida Romeo, as I say, in the 1990s. And they specialised in Cuban music, Cuban classical music. Um, and I had a lovely time not only hearing them play, but I also got to chat to four or five of Cuba's leading, current contemporary composers who are fascinating. We sat there for two hours during the fat um in old Havana, in a very old monastery, drinking lots of cups of coffee. It was very kind of it was very Hemingwayish. <laughs> and then as I say, I then kind of got to listen to to Camarata Romeo play. And they've got a new disc out, which is called Bella Havana. The title says its own thing, and it's and it's um Cuban music from the beginning of the twentieth century to the current day. Fantastic. We don't normally think of Cuban classical music, do we? We don't we just think mm.
0: of the sort of Buena Vista Social Club and that's pretty much it. So it's exciting to be able to sort of delve into um well much much like last month when we listened to Villa Lobos and a little bit more sort of unknown Brazilian stuff. I mean it's it's just nice to hear the the, 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 the
2: Latin influences in classical music, really. Exactly. And I found it really fascinating chatting to these composers because I did say, <laughs> I kind of launched this huge conversation by saying what defines Cuban classical music. And they are all so knowledgeable, they actually took me right back to the 18th century and kind of ran me through this history period, telling me exactly how it developed and how there's European influence in there. Like actually all of Cuban culture, is this kind of wonderful mixture of Creole, Caribbean and European. And the music is exactly the same. And they're saying you can hear European dances in there, but you can also hear kind of local rhythms. It's, it's wonderful stuff. I really like it. And I have to say that Camerata, um Romeo play it superbly as well.
0: Talking about much more exotic, we're going from west to east for AM. we're we're, yes. we're going all the way over to India. Go on, tell us what we're talking about in this month's magazine.
1: Yes. Yeah, so this year is uh, Ravi Shankar's centenary year, uh, the sitar player and composer. And, um, And he, we've got a great piece, a kind of potted history of Ravi Shankar's music by his biographer, Oliver Krask. So, yeah, he obviously, Shankar wrote operas and symphonies and really bridged the gap between the East and West musical traditions and actually combined classical and jazz and a lot of Indian music, which on paper seem quite incompatible. But actually, he just sort of blended them superbly and he kind of collaborated with the great and the good, Philip Glass, the Yehudi Menuins and Previn obviously uh, commissioned him to write his first ever sitar concerto as well, way back when. So although, um, disappointingly, obviously, his symphony was going to be scheduled for April this year at the Southbank Centre, but that obviously is no longer happening. So in the meantime, you can read our fabulous piece all about Ravi Shankar and discover some of his music. Um, there'll be lots of stuff online about him on our website as well uh, as to where to start with his music. Um, and then also you can even read the new biography of Shankar by Oliver Krask, who has written this piece, um, and that's still published this month by Faber and & Faber, and that's called Indian Sun: The Life and Music of Ravi Shankar.
2: If we're talking about where to start with his music, um, Oliver actually in his piece talks about the three sitar concertos I would recommend starting with the second yeah. rather than with the first. The first is kind of, it's a lot simpler, but it, a lot of it, it just sounds like um, it's very, very much led by the sitar. There's not an awful lot of interaction between the sitar and the orchestra in the first concerto. Whereas the second, he really starts to do all sorts of clever things and it's really engaging listening. Um, the second so is also the, the one concerto. that his
1: daughter has kind of championed, Anushka Shankar, who's also a sitar player. She's kind of championed that Absolutely, as well over the yeah. years. So that's a good it's place
0: to
1: start. Apparently it's difficult. I mean, all time music sounds difficult to me. I think it's incredible, but <laughs>
0: <Yeah. Yeah, laughs> i disappointed a to not be hearing instrument. his
1: symphony. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Right. Um, let's move on to First Listen. So before we kick off with sharing our favourite new recordings, we want you to tell us what you've been discovering during the last few weeks. Have you been using the time to discover new masterpieces? Have you been using the time to really get to reacquaint yourself with old favorites? Are you picking up an instrument that you've dusted off over the past few weeks? Um, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. We've uh, we've been doing our own sort of musical discoveries ourselves. So please, please email us uh, music at classical hyphen music.com. Com. So, I brought you some Cyrilus Creek. So, Cyrilus Creek was an Estonian composer living either side of 1918, which was the declaration of Estonian independence. Uh, so, he was a bit of a national hero and really sort of uh, was one of the composers who kicked off the Estonian national style, going back to uh, incorporate Estonian uh, folk songs in much of his music gorgeous, gorgeous choral composer and there's a new recording on ECM which is performed by Vox Clementis, which is a BBC Music Magazine award winner actually Uh, and they've put together much of his music and I want to play you this um, sort of Estonian folk hymn which Cirrus Creek has arranged Uh, and it's called Whilst Greater Is Our Poverty Still Greater Is Our Blessing Seems very apt in these times So that was a piece by Cyrilus Creek, uh, Whilst Great is Our Poverty, Still Greater is Our Blessing, on the ECM label. And the album is called The Suspended Harp of Babel, and it's sung by Vox Clementis and also includes uh, introductions and little episodes played on the nickel harper and the kanel, which are two uh, traditional Estonian instruments and sort of gives it a lovely sort of magical timelessness. I absolutely adored this one. Freya, what have you brought us?
1: Um, slightly something slightly different um I've really enjoyed actually working from home. I've been able to sort of rather than listen with headphones on. I've been really utilizing the forces of my <laughs> of my sound system in my room and probably to the chagrin of my flatmates um but I've found an album that is absolutely perfect for really blasting out it's um it's works by Gustavo Diaz Jerez and it's called. Magek, I believe, M-A-G-H-E-K, Seven Symphonic Poems About the Canary Islands. And it's performed by the Royal Scottish National Orchestra under Eduardo Portal, and it's on Signum Classics. Um, and it's a double it's a double disc, uh, and each piece is about 20 minutes and is inspired by a different island in the Canary Islands. Um, and it's these enormous soundscapes that all have these really unique sound worlds, but all kind of have this amazing cohesion. Um, and so we're going to listen to... Sugar Day I'm sure that's pronouncing correctly for orchestra, and this is based on the island which is really rocky and full of oh, oh, forests. Um, and yeah, you can hear the waves crashing against the shore and the birds flying overhead, and it's magnificent.
0: Jeremy, what have you brought us?
2: Well, many years ago, as a chorister, I was very familiar with the music of William Mathias, or I say very familiar, I was very familiar with his carols, such as his Wassail and A Babe Was Born. Absolutely love them, really rowdy pieces. But I don't know much of his music beyond that, so I was delighted to see the disc called A Vision of Time and Eternity, and it's on the Naxos label. And this is a selection of his songs and chamber music. It's a very eclectic mix of songs sung by baritone Jeremy Hugh Williams, who is absolutely fantastic in them, and also chamber works for a mixed bunch of instruments, kind of flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, um, et cetera, string quartet. But um, what, I'm, what I'm going to pick out here, which has really caught my ear, it's very sort of mystical and magical, is his harp sonata. And it is played on this disc by Michel Gott, um, and it's, it kind of takes you into this sort of other world. Um, and I'm going to introduce here the beginning of the second movement of Matthias's harp sonata, the Allegro Vivo. And that was on a disc called A Vision of Time and Eternity and on the Naxos label, and the catalogue number is 8.574053, and lovely it is too.
0: Fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of this month's podcast. Uh, our jingles, each inspired by a different choral composer, were written by Christopher Maxim. And our podcast is produced here in Bristol uh, by Jack Bateman and Ben Uatt. And thank you to them especially for putting together all our recordings from dotted various parts of the, of the South West. So thank you very much indeed. Anyway, it's very goodbye from all of us, and we'll see you next month.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. The BBC Music
1: Magazine pod.